If you have your Bible, turn to Judges chapter 15. We'll start there. We are in a series called Unlikely, and we're just looking at different characters in the Bible. Uh, we looked at Noah and Mary, and this morning we're going to look at Samson. And, and uh, it, the, the scripture will also be on the screen for you to look at. You can follow along in your Bible, however you choose to do that. His whole story, Samson's story, is revealed in Judges 13 is where it begins, and chapter 16 is where it concludes. And if you, if you get the context, if you want to know the context, this is what happened. The Philistines were, uh, were, were here, the Israelites were not doing what God wanted them to do. They were worshiping false gods. They were headed down the wrong road. They were making bad decisions. And so God said, I'm going to try to get their attention, and I'm going to use the Philistines to oppress them, to keep them, to cause injustice to them, to cause problems for them, to cause issues for them. And so for years, this, this evil, wicked Philistine group made, made trouble for the Israelites. And, and finally, God said, okay, I think you've learned your lesson. I'm going to raise up a man. I'm going to call him Samson, and he's going to lead, he's going to lead my children, Israel. He is going to begin the process of bringing them out of this heavy oppression. He was born to a mom and a dad who could not conceive, so it was a miraculous birth. It was announced by an angel, and it was given with some, some uh, things that he wanted, they wanted him to take the Nazarite vow. And so the angel said, this is what I want Samson to do. Never let him drink. Never sp- don't let alcohol touch his lips. Don't let him touch anything that's dead. And don't cut his hair, because that's what the Nazarites did. And, that, and, and you say, well, what's that all about? What's the big deal? Well, it's just like water baptism. is a symbol. It symbolizes, it identifies you with Christ, that you once were dead, but now you've been made to life. And you're walking in, in, in oneness with him. Just like I wear this wedding ring to symbolize and signify that I am married to Angie and I've made a commitment to her. Not cutting his hair was a symbol. It signified to God that he was set apart for a specific purpose. And if you look at his young years, Samson was living out his potential in a lot of ways. He was striking fear in the hearts of the Philistines. He, he, at one time, he killed 30 guys with just his bare hands. Another time, he he got a jawbone of a donkey, and he slew a thousand Philistines in one little battle, war, whatever you want to call it. There was one time where Samson got so mad at him, he tied the tails of 300 foxes together and set them on fire. And the foxes ran through the, the olive, the, I wanted to say olive garden. It didn't go run through olive garden, but the olive groves and the wine presses and the, or the, wine, the vineyards and the wheat fields and and he just, he, I mean, just caught, you talk about, it was, that was a lot of destruction. It, it was where they made their money. It was where they ate. And so tyrant doing that caused a lot. And so the Philistines, they just, man, this guy is from God. He, he's the real deal. He's coming to rescue Israel. We're in big trouble. Not only did it, did it f- uh, put fear in their hearts, but it ignited courage in the hearts of the Israelites. So all of a sudden, instead of feeling oppressed and, 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 and treated badly. They get on the offensive. We can do this. We can rally behind Samson. You know, he's our man. He, he, he's the guy. And, and everything seems to be going good. In fact, in Judges chapter 15, 20, it says Samson led Israel for 20 years in, in, in the days of the Philistines. And it appears that his potential was being lived out. But as you go further along in the story, and many of you know, and we'll find out in just a few minutes, that he ends up it's really a case study on unmanaged appetites. 
and he ends up with his eyes gouged out, uh, working like an ox to thresh wheat for the Philistines. And the question is, what can we learn from Samson's life, and what can we get out of this story? Here's the first thing that I want you to know. Samson didn't ruin his life all at once. He ruined it one step at a time. Here's, here's what Judges 16.1 says. One day, Samson went to Gaza. Uh, one day, he, I, don't know, he, I, I don't know why he was going to Gaza. Gaza was really the epicenter of the Philistines. Gaza was the place where the rulers made their decisions, where the, where the warriors trained for battle. Gaza was the heart of the enemy. And one day, Samson decided, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wake up and go to the Philistines. But, but again, this is what I want you to know. His life wasn't ruined in a day. It was ruined by step after step of going the wrong direction. I don't think anybody wakes up and says, I just think I'm going to ruin my life. It's, it's a step. It's a progression of bad decision, poor choice, not heeding, not listening, not following, not doing, and you end up in Gaza. One day, Samson went to Gaza. It was 25 miles, 56,000 steps. So he, he's going to Gaza. He went there to see where he saw a prostitute. I'm not sure if his initial thinking was, I'm going to see a prostitute. If you looked at his character earlier, that might, you might have a good case for that. But I don't know. I, I, think, I think Samson was just dealing with unmanaged appetites. I, I don't want to sleep with a prostitute. I just want to see a prostitute. I just want to be, I don't, I just want to be close to the enemy. I, for 56,000 steps, he walked towards the enemy's ranks. He walked toward destruction. He, it's not, it doesn't happen in a day. It ha, and all along the way, I'm sure I shouldn't be doing this. This doesn't feel right. I don't think, I don't think God is for this. I, I, don't, I don't think this is the right direction. I, th- this is going to cause more problems than good for 56,000 steps. And you know what Paul, uh, Samson was dealing with? He was dealing with lust. And, and I, I want it. I got it. I got to have it. And, and you know what happens when, you're, when you get so uh, taken up with lust? It, there's this, psychologists call it impact bias. That the thing you're lusting over, whether it be a woman or a promotion or a power or, I don't know, whatever. I mean, you can fill in the blank, whatever you want. It becomes so large in your mind that, that you, you get this thinking that that thing is finally going to truly satisfy. That thing that I'm pursuing, that thing that, that I'm lusting for, it's going to meet my deepest need. It's going to fulfill the longing of my heart. I'm finally going to reach that place in nirvana where everything is right and everything is in alignment. It's also focalism, where this thing gets so blown up that your rationale goes out the, wiz- the window, that your wisdom is, 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 is blurry, that, that your thinking is, is not right. And for 56, I'm going to keep saying that, 56,000 steps, uh, Samson is, uh, is on his way to destruction. It, I mean, he could have turned back. He could have went the other way. He could have reached out for help. He could have told a friend, but he, I, I'm going there. And you know what happens in that process? You get entitlement. I deserve this. I, I'm the leader of Israel. I can get and do whatever I want. I've been working hard. I've been leading for 20, 20 years. He walked 25 miles to mess up 20 years of faithful service. 25 miles. 
I, 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 she's not treating me right. I, and, and it's this sense of entitlement. And then we're not careful. It leads into pride. I can handle this. I'm not going to sleep with a prostitute. I'm going to just go look at a prostitute. I'm just going to look in the window. I'm just going to make sure everything's all right with the Philistines. I, I'm, I'm not in, but just, just decision after decision, step after step. Nobody, nobody wakes up going, I'm going to ruin my life today. I've never, I've never seen a man that said, hey, I want to be so addicted to pornography that I can't sleep at night until I get my fix, that I've got to hide uh, my secret sin, that, that I've got to look. I want to be so addicted and so, and so captivated and captured by this sin. That's my 10-year dream. That it just said, nobody says that. How does it happen? One click, another click, another click. This week, we... We, some of you, if you watch the news, there was a former congressman that has sat, in a, sat across the seat from a judge because he's been convicted of sexting with an underage girl. And, and you know, the show I was watching was berating him and belittling him and mocking him. And, and my response is, that didn't happen in a day. That happened one click at a time. And I'm not going to judge him. You know what the Bible says? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. If you think you're incapable of doing that, you're standing on the edge of the cliff. If you think I could never do what he did, I could never walk down that road, I could. It's one step at a time. It's one step. It, it's rational. It's justifying. It's entitlement. It's, it's, and and can, I, can I just pause for a minute and tell you that that, that, that porn is a big deal. It's just looking. It's not hurting anybody else. I did a little study, and so that I get it right, I just want to read it to you. It's about a paragraph. Porn has, this is what they've concluded scientifically, porn has the power to change your brain. The more porn a man consumes, the more severe changes to the brain. Consequently, when your brain changes, the more difficult it is to close the browser and walk away and the, and the more you click, the more you look at, the further you want to go. You should know, no matter what your wife's body looks like, it will not have the same stimulating power of porn. If there's a competition, porn wins every time. Your attempts to get your wife to stimulate you the same way media stimulates you is futile because they're two entirely different things. You're dealing with different functions of the brain. Porn is not a pastime. It is a pathway to an addiction that can ruin your life. It's a romance killer. It's an intimacy nightmare. It is a competition with the woman that you say you love, and she's going to lose every time. Porn makes a promise it cannot keep. It promises to serve as a temporary, no-strings-attached substitute. But ironically, porn erodes a man's ability to experience the very thing porn is supposed to substitute. A meaningful, satisfying sexual relationship. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, you're walking down that road and you're, and you're clicking and you're, and you're moving forward. You don't have to go there anymore. There are ways around it. You need to, you need, admitting that you need help is not cowardice, it's courage. Reaching out to somebody and saying, hey, I've got this issue, I've got this problem. And I'll tell you, if you reach out to me, I will not judge you. If not, by the grace of God, there go I. I just want to help you. I, wanna, I don't want you going down that place of destruction. I don't want you going to Gaza. I don't want you to end up 
in a place that, that you don't know how you're going to get out of. I want you to turn from it and go towards God. It never happens in just one, one click. Now, in that, I mean, you don't get broke in one expenditure. What happens? Lust. I got to have it. I know I can't afford that new car, but I want it. And then entitlement. I deserve it. I've been working so hard. Nobody should have to drive a car the age of mine. And then pride. I can make the payment. And the reality is, you, I mean, you're struggling balancing your checkbook. How are you going to make a payment on a new car? And, and then you, you get decision after decision. No man falls into a fair. He doesn't wake up one morning and go, hey, I think I'll have an affair. I think I want to ruin my life. I want to lose the respect of my kids and the trust of my wife. I want to ruin everything that I hold dear. I think I'll just have an affair. No, it's one step at a time. It's getting too close. It's becoming too personal. It's a, it's a touch that shouldn't have touched. It's a, and the whole time, you're, I shouldn't go there. I shouldn't do this. I, and it, it, it doesn't happen in a day. It happens after multiple bad decisions, poor choice, wrong place. I should have never went to Gaza. I should have never saw that prostitute, but he went in and stepped with her. It's just a prostitute. It's just sex. It's just physical. What's the big deal? The big deal is sex is just not physical. Sex is, sex is physical, but it's more than physical. And let, let, me, let me try. If sex is just physical, why, does, why, does, why is childhood sexual abuse so challenging to deal with as an adult? If sex is just a physical act, why, why can you push it out of your consciousness for a period of time, but then it will rear its ugly head at the most inopportune time, and it will cause more problems and be more debilitating and cause more challenges than almost any other thing, because sexual sin is just not physical. It's beyond that. Why can kids report just about any kind of offense? They can tell on a kid that's been bad to them. They can tell on a teacher that's been whatever to them. They can, they can tell on a dad that's been abusive. But it, when it comes to sexual sin towards them, many kids will, will hide it. They'll, they, won't, and they don't even know why because sex is more than physical. Uh, you, why? Why, will, will, uh, why, are, are, uh, why does unfaithfulness destroy more marriages? Why can you work through a family dysfunction in your past and, and maybe even addiction to some kind of substance and maybe some kind of relational issue. Why, why can you work through that? But when it comes to adultery, it's just, it just cuts deeper. There's just a scar there that's harder to heal. I'll tell you why. Because sex is not just physical. Why, why are you so interested in who your, your, your spouse now or your boyfriend or girlfriend has slept with in the past? Why, why, why does it concern you with the amount of sexual partners they've had? Because, because it matters. It, it causes more concerns, more insecurities, more fears, more issues. Deep down, sexual sin is different. Dancing and sleeping together are both physical. But one you can get over and get through. The other doesn't make your life better. It makes your life more complicated. Pastor, you're embarrassing me. Why are you even talking about this? Because the greatest, the greatest kickback I get when I preach is when I talk about money and when I talk about sex. But the greatest challenge of our day, the greatest killers are greed and immorality. 
And, the, and everybody else is talking about it. I walked into Starbucks the other day, which I rarely do, and there's a group of ladies that have their 50 shades of gray darker open, and they're having a, a book study. Your kids are hearing about it. They're talking about it. They know We live in a culture that is saturated with sex, it, and it's just no strings attached, and it's just physical, and it's friends with, with benefits. And, and I love you enough to tell you, I've been... I'm 47 years old. I've been in ministry for 25 years. I have seen the destruction of sexual sin, and it's not worth going down that road. If you're a young person this morning, it's worth waiting for. If you're an adult today, it is worth doing it God's way. This is what I have found. God's ways are better. God, if, you'll, if you'll honor the Lord in this area of your life, it will make life better for you. Not more, not more complicated. And the Bible, the Bible says a lot about it. Look into what Paul says. Do I need to do this? I'll come back to that. I'm not going to do that. Listen to what Paul says. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his work. The word united means to his wife. It means, it means to have sex. They'll come together. They'll cleave. They'll adhere. They'll... They'll, they'll, it'll be the glue that holds them together. God knew we would struggle with relationships, so he said, I'm going to give you a gift. It's the gift of sex, and it's to, be, it's to be practiced in the covenant of marriage. And when it's done in the right way, in the proper prayer, yes, it's going to help you in, in, in reproducing, and it's going to bring you pleasure, but more than, in, more than anything, it's going to create intimacy. It's going to create oneness. And you're saying, well, I don't want intimacy. I just want sex. No, outwardly you might not be looking for intimacy, but inwardly you're longing for intimacy. That's, the, that's, the play, that's what God has created in your heart. More than anything, you don't just want to be physical with somebody. You want to be intimate. You want to be known, and you want to be fully known. I was talking to a man just this week, 54 years of marriage, and, and, and it, as he talked about his wife, she was, she was there. I mean, it was like a twinkle in his eyes, like a teenager talking about his first love. And, and they said, yeah, we're thinking about moving. And, and I go, well, where are you moving? Why would you move after all these years? And he goes, you know, I don't care where I move or, or, or what state I live in. As long as I'm with her, there was some, I mean, that's what I want. I, I just want that intimacy, that closeness, that, that after 54 years of marriage, I love her more than I ever have. That's the gift of sex. That's what gift was supposed to. Not talk, it's not the only thing, but it was supposed to be the glue. It was supposed to be the stickiness of our marriage because they'll, two will become one flesh. And we've used it as a cheap substitute to fill a, 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 a desire, to fulfill an appetite. And, and it's not working because we're not doing it God's way. God, God talks about sex so much, not because he's against sex, but because he's for you. Here, here's what the Bible says. Uh, flee from sexual immorality. And the word sexual immorality, it's the word pornea in the Greek. It's where we get the word pornography. But it implies, it means anything that brings sexual gratification outside of the marriage covenant, stay away. Don't go to Gaza. Turn around. Stop. Get out of there. Run, Forrest. Run. All other sins. 
a person commits. All other sin. It's like he lumps sexual sin and other sin in two different categories. And I know all sin is sin. And, 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 and here's the thing. And when he lumps them together, he's not saying that sexual sin cannot be forgiven. That's not what he's talking about. The lady caught in adultery was brought before Jesus. And, and, and the question was asked, uh, uh, where, where's it after the accusers left? Where are your accusers? Well, they've gone. They've left. Well, well neither do I condemn you. Go and, and sin no more. Stop it. Stop what you're doing. It's not that you're unable to be forgiven sins. It's different in the sense because you sin against your own body. It hurts you. It, 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 will, it will rob you of future intimacy. It'll undermine the stickiness that you and your spouse need to have. It'll create an obstacle to honesty. It eventually equates to self-inflicted pain. Here, I, I want to go back to this verse. This is how it happens. This is kind of how we sum it up. Each one is tempted when by his own evil desires. See, we all have these appetites, and there's nothing wrong with appetites. God created them. We have an appetite for sex. We have an appetite to be loved. I, I want to be loved. But sin distorted them. It's not that I want to be loved. It's to what point will I go to be loved? What will I do to be loved? What, what, I want to, here's an appetite. I want to be successful. I want to, I want to pastor a great church. What extent will I go to do that? Will I cross a line that may be unethical? Will I work myself to a bone where my kids don't know me and my wife despises me? I have these God-given desires but what am I going to do with them? God created them, sin distorted them. you got to know about desires. They're never fully and finally satisfied. If I build a church of 5,000, you know what I want? A church of 6,000. We think I'll finally, this lady, this thing, this, this new car, this person, it's going to fill that need. It's going to meet that need. It doesn't fulfill it. It fuels it. The more you do, the more you want. Ask the alcoholic if the last drink was enough. He always wants the next one. Ask the drug addict if the, if the high was enough. No, because it's always, I got to get to the next place. This evil, these desires, and here's what happens. The enemy preys on these appetites, on your appetites. What, and, and again, yours might be different from mine. Mine's different from yours. But the devil knows your weakness, and he will try to drag you away and entice. It's kind of, the word picture is, it's like a fisherman looking, trying to catch a fish. And the type of bait you use is the type of fish that you, you want to you wanna catch. So if you're, and I, I don't even know, I'm not a fisherman, but I guess catfish eat something different than bass. And so depending on what you want to fish, you do that. And can I just stop there and say, girl, just the bait you're using is the guy you're trying to catch. If you're trying to catch him with your body, you're going to have to keep him with your body. If you're trying to catch a guy that wants a girl that shows a lot of flesh, you're attracting the wrong kind of catch. That's not the guy you want. Satan knows the, and he will entice. It's like the fisherman that, that sets the hook or sets the bait and casts it, and a big old bass is behind the rock, and he's got, he comes out, and he's got two decisions, two responses. I'm going to turn and leave. This is the bait that got my daddy. I'm not going down that road. Or let me play with it. Let me smell it. Let me keep walking towards it. 
Let me, let me go to Gaza. I just want to look. Let me, let me get a little close to it. You see why Jesus says flee from sexual immorality? Just let me bump up against it. Let me taste it. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. That's where you cross the line. Up to this point, you've not sinned. You're, you're, you're treading on unsafe water. You're, 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 you're doing things that you're headed in the wrong direction. You're on those 5,600 steps. But until you sin, and when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. And that's what we'll find out will happen to Samson. It, it gives birth to death. And so Samson, in chapter 16, he goes to Gaza. He sleeps with a prostitute. He's in the enemy's camp. The enemy finds out he's there. And they try to capture him and try to wrestle him. He breaks through the crowd. And he, here's the power of God in Samson's lives. He goes to the city gates, which was supposed to symbolize protection and security. He rips them off their hinges. You know what he's doing? He's literally flipping the, the Philistines off. He, he's, he's giving them the bird and saying, you think you're something? You have no security. You have no, and he throws it downhill. And then later in that verse, it says, he falls in love with another Philistine by the name of Delilah. And he goes, goes to Delilah and, and seduces, he's seduced by her. And four times she tries to find out the power of his strength. And you know, you read that and you think that, man, what a dummy. What a stupid Samson. What, what are you thinking? Again, I'm telling you. When you get focalism, when you get impact bias, when you're headed the wrong way, where you've crossed multiple lines, your, 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 your rationale goes out the window. You, you need somebody outside yourself to speak into your life. You're at a place where you need help. Samson wouldn't reach out for help. Samson, maybe he was in that pride place, didn't even realize he had a problem. And she said, oh, he said, if you, if you put my hair in, 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 in uh, little ropes, that's what I'll call it, the NIV calls it thongs, and I don't, I'm not going to call it a thong because that just, that in this context of the story, it just gets you just to another place. So these little ropes, <laughs> and some of you didn't even get that, so never mind. So these little ropes, <laughs> but some probably did get it. So these little ropes, and he ties them, ties them up, and, 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 and the Philistines rush in, you know the story, and he snaps them like they're nothing and flexes his muscles, and, and they flee, and again, just all kind of fear into their hearts. And Delilah says, I can't believe you tricked me. You lied to me. No, you, you're making a fool of me. And, and Samson goes, I, I'm sorry, baby. I shouldn't have told you that. I was just joking. Here, if you get seven new ropes. So she does seven new ropes, same thing happened. You're making fun of me. You're making light of me. I, I can't believe you'd embarrass me like this. I mean, he's just taking steps. Somebody cry, Somebody tell Samson to stop. He bra- if you braid my hair in seven braids, then that'll be the power of my strength. She does it. He wakes up. All right, all right. Here it is. Still, here it is. If you cut my hair, I'll lose my strength. She cuts his hair. The, the Philistines come in. They bring their money with them, like 30 pounds of silver she's going to get. Bring their money with them. He jumps up to flex his muscles, to show his power. And the Bible says the spirit of the Lord had left him, and he didn't even realize it. They gouge out his eyes. Some people, some scholars say they, they went to the eyeball sockets and took them out. They put him in a, in, a, in a piece of equipment where he would be like an ox grinding wheat 
in a grinder. So for the next, this was his punishment. He would strap into this machine where he would be like a mule that they would whip and, and he would be responsible hour after hour, day after day, grinding, we not being able to see. 56,000 steps. Didn't happen in a day. Happened one poor decision, one line crossed, one poor choice, one character flaw. They're having a celebration, the Philistines are. They gather everybody together. They're in the temple, which looks more like a coliseum. It would have had a center platform and rows of seats that would go up, kind of like a bowl and people could look down on. And they're worshiping a god by the name of Dagon. He's the god of the harvest. And, and he's, a, got a, he's got a man head and a fish body. He's a man fish God. And, and, and they're, they're going, man fish God, we thank you for delivering Samson into our hands. Man fish God, you've been so good to us. And, and, and they got all worked up and stirred up. And they said, let's bring Samson out and make sport of him. Let's bring him out. And man, this will really please our man fish God. And so they bring Samson out. I mean, his body, even in the short time that he's been there, is wore out. He's probably hunched over. Strength is gone. Eyes are gouged out. The guy that has him, he asks him, just, just, will you just lean me up against the two main pillars in the Colosseum? And so let me get to the verse because I skipped a lot and went a lot of different places. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood. And bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other, Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and, and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than when he lived. Here's the first lesson I want you to know about Samson. He didn't ruin his life all at once. He ruined it one step at a time. Here's the second lesson. Even in our failures, God can accomplish his purposes. If you're not dead, God's not done. If you, if you know what the Bible says, if you're a believer in Jesus, the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead will quicken your mortal body. There is grace for you. There is forgiveness for you. There is new beginnings for you. There is a fresh start for you. There, there is a God that, that, that's not done when you say, well, God can never use me again. I, I'm used baggage. My, my testimony is shot. I want to tell you there's no greater testimony than someone who's been transformed and changed by the power and the, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. I used to lie and I couldn't even tell the truth. I lied so much it was one lie after another. I was an adulterer. I couldn't stay faithful to my wife. I was, I was so bound in pornography that I had to get the next fix. Uh, every, every, that's all I thought about. But by God's transformation power, by his wonderful grace and by his spirit, I've been changed and I once was in darkness, but now I'm in light. There is no greater, there is no greater way to elevate the power and the goodness and the grace of God than someone that's been brought out of darkness into the light of God's grace. Because even in our failures, God can still accomplish his purpose. Here's my hope. I don't want you ending up in Gaza. 
And if you're in Gaza, I want you to get out of Gaza. So, Pastor, what do I do? Here's what you do. If you want a different result, you got to do something different. If you, if you want to change, hey, you got to get sick and tired of saying, I just want to change. And you've got to start. you got to start changing. If you're headed this way, you know what you got to do? you got to repent. The Bible says you turn from your sin. Not only do you turn from this, but you turn towards God. I'm not going. I'm going the other way. I have worked with men, multiple men that have had affairs, that they're abound in pornography. I want you to, I just want you to know, there, there is life after affair if you'll do something different. And the men that I've worked with, whose marriages are better, whose life is better, have made an intentional change. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pursue guys. I'm not gonna, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get stuff on my computer. I'm gonna set boundaries in my life. I'm not going to deal with it. I'm not going to struggle with the bait. I'm not going to give in to the lies of the enemy. I'm going to plug into church. I'm going to get in a small group. I'm going to reach out for help. I'm going to go to overcomers. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to stop listening to the music I was listening to. I'm going to, I want a different result. I've got to do something different. I'm not going to play around with sin. I'm not going to toy with the enemy. I'm not headed in the wrong direction. I'm going to be changed by the power and the grace of Jesus Christ. Here, here, here's the deal today. Samson didn't ruin his life at once. He ruined it one step at a time. Here's your wake-up call. Get help. Reach out. Ask. Don't, don't. If you keep your sin in the darkness, that's where it thrives. When it comes out into the light, it's where it disperses. You got get one bet. It's not too late. No, regardless of where you are, it's turn from that. Turn from it and turn to Jesus. Repent. Move towards God. Get accountability. Set up protections. Even in our failures, God can still accomplish his purpose. Samson killed more in his death than he did in his life. We want to forget our past and run from our past and justify our past. God wants to redeem our past and use it for his glory. Amen, everybody? Amen. Bow your heads and your hearts with me, will you? Will you ask this question? Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And maybe it has nothing to do with sexual sin. Maybe it's an attitude, it's an action. Maybe your bait is something totally different. But regardless, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? What, what do I need to change? What, do I, what, do I need, what direction do I need to go? Maybe you're so far in it, all sense of reality, all, it's just kind of gone. I pray in Jesus' name that that would return today by your spirit and by your power and by your grace. Lord, I pray we wouldn't be conformed to this world, but we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we wouldn't give in to the culture and live by its ways, but we would live by your word, that we would build our house on the rock, the truth found in your word, Jesus, that we would fight sin and resist sin and flee from sin so that we might pursue you and honor you. sexual immoralities because all sins a man commits are outside his body but he who sins sexually sins against his own body and do you not know that you've been bought with a price you 
You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, honor God with your body. Why why don't you stand to your feet with me? And, And this is what I know. The greatest offense against sin, the greatest defense against sin is a pursuit of God. It's a surrendering of yourself. It's a giving of your life. It's a commitment of your will. And right, right where you are, will you, will you just say, Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my life. I, I offer myself as a living sacrifice again. More of you, God, less of me. Lord, I want to decrease and I want you to increase. Lord, I don't want to be controlled by desires that are run away and out of control. I want to be controlled by your spirit. Fill me today with your spirit. Lord, if I live by the sinful nature, I'll gratify that nature, and it ends in destruction. But if I live by the Spirit, I'll honor the Lord. And so fill me today afresh and anew with your Spirit, Lord. And lead me and guide me and give me the courage to respond and the strength to turn and the will to obey. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And Lord, for those that maybe this stirred up an, a wound, that it opened up a wound and poured sod in it, I pray that grace would flow. Lord, where the devil wants to condemn and accuse, I pray that mercy would be realized. That there would be no condemnation today in Jesus' name. Lord, I, I pray for young people that are that are trying to figure this all out. Lord, I pray they'll make a commitment to do it your way in Jesus' name. For those that have missed it in this area, I pray from this day forward, they will say with the help of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to honor you with my body. Help us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Will you make that your prayer just every day? Lord, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your power. With your heads bowed and your eyes shut, maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. Maybe at one point you were walking with him and one point you were serving him, but you just walked away. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. And you realize today I need him. I, I need Jesus in my life. I need forgiveness of my sins. I need a leader to follow. Listen, Jesus died so you could be forgiven. And he rose from the dead so that he could lead your life. All you got to do is respond to his invitation. If you need Jesus today, I would pray. I would just say, Lord, forgive me. Cleanse me. I realize that I'm walking and headed down the wrong path. And this morning I turn from it. I, 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 I repent of my sin. I turn from that thing which you call sin, and I turn towards you. Will you forgive me and cleanse me? And Lord, will you lead me from from today forward, I want to follow you. From today forward, I want to honor you. Lord, from today forward, I want to pursue you. I thank you for your grace and your goodness. I thank you for your love and compassion. And Jesus, I give you my life.